Welcome back to the Saturday edition of Locked On Women's Basketball, the internet's only women's basketball draft-focused podcast. And that's a fact. Today we're looking at big, big takeaways from UConn, UCLA, Stanford FSU, and South Carolina UNC. After definitely not the third time that I've had to record this intro, Locked On Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. You are Locked On to Women's Basketball. Thank you for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube if you want to see Lincoln letting his hair down and just getting in the flow of a classic early December Saturday. Friends, it is the holiday season. My name is M. Adler, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lincoln Schaefer. If you're wondering where your regular host, Hunter Cruz, is, he is at an undetermined black site in Redacted, and he will be rejoining us soon. I cover the WNBA with a focus on player development and the game behind the game. Lincoln is our biomechanics boy, and he contributes to our WNBA draft coverage at the next. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. That's LOCKEDONNBA. So just getting right into it, the past week or so has featured quite a lot of big games on the women's college basketball slate. We just had a couple days ago a huge doubleheader for South Carolina UNC, which was incredibly exciting, followed by a big comeback in the bayou by LSU overtaking Virginia Tech in Angel Reese's first game back. But in classic fashion, we are going to start with news that you have already gotten over, and we're going to talk about some games at the end of the Thanksgiving Day slate before diving into one of the games I just mentioned. Lincoln, I want to start off with a game that probably no one watched, probably no one at all, and that's uh, Florida State-Stanford. This was the quote-unquote championship of the Ball Dogs Classic in Henderson, uh, Nevada. That's about all that really matters about that tournament, other than the physical structure of the court, <laughs> which for those of you listening at home, um, uh, what happened was this is, uh, Lincoln, it's a G League Ignite court. Yep. The, it's the, the home floor for the G League Ignite team, um, which is a collection of interesting prospects in the NBA side that join together and play a full season in the uh, developmental league. But it means that they have NBA lines uh, set up for all of the, the the court, and they added college lines to play, I think, four men's games and four women's games there over the Thanksgiving weekend. And I hate to interrupt, and, but I want to be clear. The lines normally are painted in white, and they left the, the men's NBA G League lines in white. They added the college arc and the smaller college free throw lane in black. So you have corresponding colors or you have corresponding lines in different colors. So, you know, if you're looking at one line, you're just looking for a color. Yeah. And um, the refs in this game were looking at the wrong lines, which doesn't really make a difference, but it's a little bit embarrassing. It's, um, how do I describe this? It's not what you want, which is to say that there were multiple, there were multiple, like, very impressive threes, ones that, you know, we would like to clip and like to share, uh, that were not counted as threes, they were counted as twos. There were uh, 
players who were also shooting behind the wrong line on purpose, which was kind of funny, but you know, it is what it is uh, as a, as a whole, I'm sorry, as a whole, the teams uh, only shot a combined uh, 12 of 41 from three, which is a little under 30%. If you had in a few long twos, it probably looks like a more decent number, but the actual final score uh, in spite of this was a hundred to 88. Uh, suffice to say that that hit me over <laughs> Lincoln, to you, what was the biggest thing about this game? Obviously, you know, we're coming at this from a draft perspective. It's very, you know, when you look at Florida State, it's very obvious Tania Latson is the big prospect there. On the other side, we, you know you have Cameron Brink. Um, there are a couple other players on both sides that I know were, that I know we enjoy. What, what to you was the biggest part of, you know, what really ended up running up the score for both sides and what made it so entertaining? Fascinatingly, in a game where there were 188 points scored and it should have been more like 193, it's it's the defense from Hannah Jump and Cameron Brink for me. That's what popped off the screen for me. Cameron Brink is so good in drop. She's so good anywhere within five feet of the hoop. She has really long arms, and uh, her timing is incredible when she's coming back to help against the zone. And uh, Hannah Jump, who's... Uh, on our board because of the way that she shoots the ball offensively had some really good uh, flashes, mirroring drivers Mm -hmm. and um, hanging with even dynamic uh, offensive forces like Tania Latson, like Omariah Gordon, and just really showing that defensive skill in a way that I hadn't really seen before from her. It was really interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. FSU for a guard defender is one of the more, is, I, I don't even want to say one of the more. It's probably the absolute most challenging matchup for a guard defender, at least in terms of process. Um, you know, right. just because of how Latson is around the rim, which is to say impressive, but not necessarily always good uh, because of how Sarah Bajetti plays, which is she does a lot of stuff that looks really cool and challenges defenders and also <laughs> often doesn't go in the hoop. You know, because of how good uh, Omaria Gordon is at maintaining her two-way goes, you know, the pull-up and the drive, all that kind right. of stuff. Because of that, it's incredibly difficult as a matchup because you don't have anywhere to hide as a guard defender and you have to Absolutely. really defend players who can pull up, who can handle the ball really well and who can get to the rim. Even if they're not necessarily going to hit those shots, you're trying to contest them at least. And yeah, one of the things I was, I was going to ask you before um, when we were talking about different defensive assignments in this game is I was... I was, I was very surprised by, by how well Hannah Jump held up. You know, I've been, you know, I've been making it a point to, to point out how her defense has surprisingly and quietly improved a lot since about January or February of last season, probably about January of mm-hmm. last season. And again, that's basically three and a half years into her Stanford career. She, you know, gradually went from, from like untenably bad to just bad as a defender. But at some point last season, it really clicked and she went from, you know, just quite bad to decently adequate, honestly, and in ways that are are solid in terms of the projection to the WNBA level. And, you know, there, I think, is still a pretty decent chance that, you know, a lot of GMs are going to look at that and say, you know, there's enough there to draft, but there's not enough really there to draft high enough or to give a great shot in camp, you know, just given how much we love the shooting, you know, everything else has to be able to just be good enough to support that. Um, and again, you know, in this league, it's a very, we've talked about this before. It's a very high hurdle to clear, you know, when there Absolutely. are occasionally occasional defensive lapses that might, you know, just give GMs an excuse to say, nah, we're not going with that. We're going to go with uh, insert very bad LSU. That 
insert not that great of a prospect <laughs> LSU player here. Yeah, that was like another encouraging thing about Hannah Jump in this game. She made some nice passes in the first half, but she really could not get the shot to fall mm-hmm. in the first half, especially. She ended the game five for 16 from three, which tells me that she never stopped shooting. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing because um, if you never stop shooting, you you uh, will never make any of your shots. If you stop shooting, you won't make shots. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> There's a point in there. I, I changed what I was going to say halfway through saying it, but if you if you stop shooting, you're not going to score points. So that's a um a, a good thing to see from a prospect, even if they have this really bad shooting half where things aren't just falling your way, to still keep going and to keep keep shooting. And uh, it was just a, a really impressive game from Hannah Jump overall for me. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing, not to get too far into the weeds on you know like the theory behind basketball and all that kind of stuff, but there's a decent amount of evidence that shows and, you know, also anecdotal coaching that, that, that says that the value a shooter provides is a, they provide more value in terms of their gravity. So in terms of how the defense has to guard them just off the ball, then, then the value they provide from actually shooting the ball and putting in the hoop. So that's one of the things, if you stop shooting, it really takes away from what, you know, in theory could slash should be your biggest asset. Um, and yeah, her, her passing has definitely steadily improved over the years. I think at this point, she's actually a quality good entry passer. That's some solid velo off the push pass, which I was surprised uh, to see in this game. Um, just to briefly touch on it, because you mentioned Brink. Now, one of the other things I think that stood out to me is just given the way Florida State defends and, you know, just a little bit in contrast to, you know, the better, get, better teams uh, Stanford has seen this season like Duke. Florida State's fine being put in rotation a lot. They're going to provide a lot of one pass away help. And so what that does, and especially on the post, they're going to provide those hard doubles against someone like Brink. So what that does is it means that there are a lot of, you know, enter to the high post and kick. And so what you get is, I saw a lot of flashes from Brink in terms of the passing ability, you know, just hitting these sort of like one-handed baseball skips that I hadn't necessarily seen before that were... yeah. Just very impressive in that sense, and I think they sort of just add to you know, thinking about the variety of ways that she can really contribute at the next level. But I think it the- would also be a, a crime to talk about this game and not mention Kiki Ariafin, who was very likely the best player in the game. She had 30 points and 17 rebounds, seven offensive rebounds, and there were also some really interesting passing flashes out of the high post from her that are uh, things I hadn't seen before. She's making skips to the corner from the high post and just she's a very good basketball player right one of the things we love to do on this pod is to bury the lead and yeah okay <laughs> just to reiterate she dropped 30 points and she got 30 points 17 rebounds and i think it was only like 15 shots or like 20 shots or something it was extremely uh, 14 low. of 25 from the field still good especially again still considering what I was alluding to before in terms of, you know, more prospects on FSU's side than just Tania Latson, Michaela Timpson is one of the best rim protectors and post defenders in women's college basketball. She's also one of the most efficient. She, I think, was the most efficient um, uh, scorer on, you know, a decent amount of usage in the ACC last year. And she was an all ACC player for very good reason. Her Honestly, her efficiency was kind of mind-blowing last year. But that is to say... Brink didn't have her the whole time. Brink was usually a primary defender. Lincoln, I think you'll remember there were a couple possessions in the first half where 
you know, the, the guards get denied for, for the nulls and they're like, all right, well, Timson has space. She has an ISO. Let's dump it into her. And she takes one dribble and immediately gets blocked by Brink. And yeah. they're like, oh yeah, we can't do that anymore. Again, adding to, you know, we talked preseason. What are the question marks with Brink? You know, strength in the post is a big one there. And uh, she appears to be passing those tests so far. Yeah. But, you know, we talked about the weird matchups with the nulls and their guards. So Stanford, obviously, does not play a true point guard. Um, Talana Lapolo mostly plays point guard, but she operates off the ball a lot. They like to move the ball with the motion offense. I, again, I would call her a point guard, but, you know, in terms of the role there, they don't play any true point of attack defenders. So what does that leave them to match up against Tania Latson, Lincoln? Uh, Erie often. Yeah. Kiki Riafin, Stanford six foot three, starting four and a half, starting five, uh, was the primary defender on Tania Latson, and it went really well. It went insanely well. I would say that I don't know if we've seen any. I honestly don't know if we've seen any big be that good defending like like a premier driving guard threat in years. Yeah, I I'm not thinking of one off the top of my head. Yeah, it just, you know, there's, I, I don't know if there's too much to say about it, just given, you know, the different intricacies of FSU and just given the fact that Ariafin is still basically only in, only in the beginning of her second, like, full, like, playing time season. There's a lot to look at there. There's a lot of raw skill. Her pull-up jumper is good at times, bad at others. Her finishing is obviously very good. And there seems to be something there defensively that is really unique. And I think for us, is certainly something to keep an eye on because that could Absolutely. be a really interesting defensive player. Uh, and coming mm-hmm. up after the break, we will move on to our next game, uh, UConn-UCLA, which uh, I've heard didn't go as, as expected. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the the official partner of the NFL. We're back. We're still talking about games that almost no one could watch. Baby, it's Flow Hoop season. Flow Hoop Feast Week. Flow Hoops Feast Week has come and gone, and we've been blessed again with another set of very strange games. Add Florida State, Stanford with its with its poorly called three point line, the weird officiating, and uh, a six for three big defending the heck out of the best driving guard in the country. To the list there, we're moving on to uh, a game that had slightly less scoring: UConn UCLA. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna bury the lead on this one. I'm just gonna say Kiki Rice is awesome and Paige Beckers is also awesome. The first five minutes of the game, I think Yukon is down like twelve to two or something. And I'm still watching it like Paige Beckers is the best player on earth. It's mm-hmm. insane. The we, again, I basically hit on this every week. The defensive things I'm seeing from Paige are basically getting better every week. She, she, you know, Kiki obviously hit a bunch of threes against her. That was the game plan. If, if Kiki is going to, 
Yeah, if Kiki's going to hit pull up threes against unders, UCLA is going to win the national title, and there's really not then you shake anything your hand anyone say, can do about it. Well done. Yeah, it's well accepted in it's well accepted in pretty much coaching any sport, but especially in basketball. You know, there is always one thing that you are trying to funnel. You know, as a defensive coordinator, you're trying to funnel the opposing offense to do, and you say because mm-hmm. you know you can't stop everything, and you say if they do this, you tip your cap. If Kiki is going to hit three pull-up threes in the first quarter, uh, when Paige goes under on ball screens, you tip your cap. There's really nothing you Good can game. do. Yep. Yep. If you go yeah, over, UConn's yeah. UConn's game plan was very clearly to try to keep the ball out of Lauren Betts' hand, who's been like maybe the most efficient high-volume scorer in basketball outside of Manhattan, Kansas. Outside of Alyssa Peely. Outside of Alyssa Peely. That's a good point. Alyssa um, Peely is literally but, running a 30% usage and 80% true shooting. That's a great point. I he possibly find Alyssa Peely. I, I love Alyssa Peely. But the, the, the UConn game plan was to try to keep the ball out of Lauren Betts' hands. And when um, the guards that you're daring to shoot hit eight threes against you, it's, it's not going to go the way that you wanted it to go. But, like, and um, UConn's offense struggled a bit, too. Paige had that early weird little ankle thing where she went out for a couple minutes. She was still scored 30 points in the game and was the best player on either team. But it did turn the UConn offense into a, a bit of a bog for a while while she was off the court. Um, you never want your, your only – real starting big to go two for 12 from the field. But, you know, I give a lot of credit to UCLA here and a lot of credit to Paige Beckers. Exactly. There, there were some interesting things. I think just from, you know, a we enjoy watching women's college basketball perspective. Uh, this UConn offense is going to be kind of nasty until at least one of Ice Brady, Ashlyn Shade, or KK Arnold figure out how to, how figures out how to put the ball in the hoop um, and or until, yeah, I actually don't know what other possibility there is here. Hunter would actually disown us if we forgot to mention that Aubrey Griffin was very good in this game. Um, she, she had, <laughs> she had uh, 11 points, which was the second most of any UConn player, uh, but she was doing good things defensively. She was doing good things on the offensive glass, and she was doing good things driving, and she even hit a spot of three. So um, props to Aubrey Griffin. For certain. And, you know, UCLA, I think, just continuing on that point is, you know, there are vulnerabilities there, as Aubrey Griffin showed. You you, you can't say that what Paige did was a vulnerability. She's literally just Paige Beckers. Yeah, that's uh, just what she does. That's, that's what she does to everyone. <laughs> but, you know, th- it's... UCLA is really good. Lauren Betts, her conditioning has improved an insane amount. Her ability to actually, you know, just move around the court and and be able to hang, you know, when need be with some driving. This isn't necessarily like a Camilla Cardoso level of, oh, she's six seven and can move like that in drop, but it's it's not bad. And I think to that extent, you know, on the draft perspective of things, like you said, Aaliyah Edwards two for twelve, but most of those were jumpers. And yeah, you don't want to leave settled Edwards for a lot of jumpers. 12 jumpers. It looked like a here's the weird thing to me. She took a couple drives pretty early on against Betts, where you know she was able to get to the line on one of them. The other one she hit she hit a nice finish through contact on that. But a lot of the other times, and I think it's hard to decouple what I was saying about how nasty this offense is going 
is and is going to continue to be, it's hard to decouple that from, you know, what Edwards was doing because, you know, I think it seemed like a lot of the difference between whether she was comfortable attacking downhill or felt like she had to settle for jumpers was how much paint help there was. And I'm, I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure what that means for us trying intrinsically to intrinsically linked with the lack of AZ FUD mm -hmm. and the lack of Carolyn Ducharme. Yeah. They're, they, they go hand in hand is you're going to have less spacing, the less proven shooters you have out there. And two of UConn's better shooters are injured indefinitely. Who knows when Ducharme's coming back. Um, and sadly, AZ FUD's gone for another season, which sucks. It's it still sucks. But yeah, for as much as, you know, we have loved how much Edwards continues to improve, you know, in terms of the creation, in terms of attacking closeouts, all that kind of stuff, obviously there's still big limits here. I am interested in how much this may or may not forecast, you know, how much she can handle being, you know, just having to play at the five against players with Bet's level of size and physicality. Absolutely. But again, it's it's really hard for me to decouple that from just the fact that she looks downhill and she sees maybe I can beat a six seven player, but I can't beat the six seven player with the six three player right next to her. Yeah. So coming up after the break, we will jump into one more of our uh, top programs in the country, one of the most interesting uh, teams. More six seven bigs on the way after this. You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. With zone deals, you can pick the section and game time picks the seats for an average of 18% savings. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. I am your co-host and temporary host, Emma Adler, and before we get back to the end of our conversation, I want to inform you that Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe for the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. And finally, on our WNBA draft and general college basketball, check-in uh, in this mid-holiday season. Uh, I want to talk about another game that uh, is ugly the right word. Let's talk about South Carolina UNC. Lincoln, do you like free throws? Love free throws. Love turnovers. Love like, foul when, calls. Do you like when they're missing airballed? It's As a Bucks fan, I've had to get used to and accept the occasional airballed free throw. Giannis <laughs> does it a lot. But, um, yeah, this game was... Uh, the first time this season that we've really seen South Carolina's offense not clicking in, like, a perfect rhythm. They scored, what, like 115 points each of their first four games. And then they had 17 points halfway through the second quarter of this one. It, it was just – it was a different kind of game. And it actually really encouraged me for the prospects of 
South Carolina as a team going forward this season, that they were able to win a different kind of game, a different style. Obviously, we knew South Carolina is not uncomfortable in these grinded-out, drag-it-down games. But uh, to see just the level of defense that they were able to play in this game was pretty impressive. Uh, most impressive to me being Raven Johnson. She's awesome. I love all of South Carolina's guards this year. Raven Johnson, Malaysia Full Wiley, Tina Pow Pow are all really fun players. But Raven Johnson was really popping off the screen for me in this game. Um, she's turning the 15-foot pull-up into a weapon. She's taking more catch-and-shoot threes than she did last year, which is a very important thing for her. She's making them at like a 33 34% clip, which is good enough. And she's doubled her playmaking val volume. She's averaging somewhere close to eight assists a game with, with um, barely an increase in turnovers despite playing 15 to 20 minutes more per game than last season. I, I'm a huge fan of Raven Johnson, and her defense has been really solid this year. And one of the things, that's one of the things that, you know, opening this offense up, getting out more in transition, just chucking the ball around more and moving more and adding, you know, a lot more pick and rolls like we saw maybe five years ago uh, in Columbia is what you get is you get Raven Johnson being able to hit all these dump off passes, all these jumps, all these hit on hits to cutters, which, you know, she wasn't unable to do last year. We saw flashes of it. There's just not the same volume of it. And that makes a difference, you know, when we're just, you know, looking at things and being able to, Honestly, just have fun with it because it's just so much fun, this offense and what it's doing. Uh, it's It'll be more fun if Malaysia Full Wiley, I shouldn't say if, when Malaysia Full Wiley, you know, cleans up some of those rotations that got her benched in the first half. Yeah. Not great. But, and, it, but, but still, it's still fun basketball, even without Full Wiley on the floor. But yeah, and that's the thing about South Carolina is Malaysia Full Wiley can get benched making some weird rotations. Tessa Johnson can play nine minutes and not take any shots. Raven Johnson cannot hit any threes. And what you get is you get Bree Hall going three for four from three. You get Tahina Pow Pow hitting three pull-up threes all in the like early to mid third quarter that basically was like, I don't want to call it the difference because this game was, I don't think it was in doubt in the fourth quarter at really any point, but it was at least nominally close. But that yeah, th those me... were really the go-ahead time. Mm-hmm. Even in the end of the first quarter when South Carolina is down 10, 14 points, you, you still have this feeling that this is going to be a game that they're taking control of in the second half. And another thing that I noticed in the first quarter, the second quarter, when um, the offense is really in a bog, is that uh, Tahina Pow Pow was creating paint touches, mm -hmm. which isn't really something that she'd had to do in their first five games. She was content to stand in the corner and shoot 55% on her six threes a game, <laughs> which is incredible. But the, the offense uh, wasn't really clicking for the first time. They're turning the ball over. Even Camila Cardoso's catch radius is a little bit limited. Um, and they just gave the ball to Pow Pow and let her get into the paint. And she created good looks for her teammates that way. Yep. You know, again, we still have some questions with the finishing, but, you know, the, the process and the growing comfortability is really Absolutely. encouraging. Uh, speaking of encouragement, because, you know, we're sticking with South Carolina here. Like, just as a caveat to the offense, you know, it, it scores only 10 points in the first quarter at Lincoln, like you mentioned. Even after the first quarter, even in the middle of the second, it's still, you know, a deficit. I don't, I mean, I'm looking at whatever the score was, 20 to 5. It was 19 to 10 after the first quarter, and I'm saying... Yeah, South Carolina is probably still going to win. South Carolina is right. favored by about 25 points coming into this game. You take <laughs> off a quarter and they're down 10, you know, you would expect 
if it's tied up the first quarter, they still win by like 18. So it's like, oh, sure. yeah, probably. And that's a and that that's the margin they had over the last three quarters. They scored 55 points in the last three quarters, which isn't great, but it's 55 points in three quarters is a lot better than 65 and four. I right. you know, just to keep things in perspective, this is an offense that you know, this is an offense that's gonna hit eight of 23s every game. You just have no idea where they're coming from. It takes them a quarter to get into it. And it also takes a quarter for Ashlyn Watkins to get started. And she had Incredible one of the best, athlete. Yeah, probably the best scoring game of her career in this one, you know, at least relative to actually playing with the starters, playing against starters, you know, seasons past. She had some nice scores all in garbage mm. time. It was super fun. She's hitting some floaters. She, I want to see her get go through contact more than around it, but it's still incredibly fun. The the athleticism and the coordination is, I think, unbelievable. Yeah, she's we've seen the dunk in transition from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just an absolutely ridiculous athlete. And to see her putting things together like that uh, offensively is really encouraging. And she's definitely on our radars for the mm-hmm. WNBA oh, draft sure. in a couple of years. Uh, Anybody yeah. that athletic. Um, and Especially when you're about... playing through Don Staley. Like, like you give Don right. Staley athleticism, yeah. uh, coachability, work ethic, and some wild instincts. And you get an all-star. That's a hooper. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's a hooper. Yeah. And we've given a lot. Uh, we've talked a lot about South Carolina's offense being in the mud, but a lot of that credit goes to the the Tar Heels defense. Mm-hmm. They start four to five very good defenders. You know, Alexi mm-hmm. Donarski won a Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Twelve at Iowa State. Maria Gakdan, she defender. should not have had. She should not have won. Melissa Smith was Fair. still in the league at that point. <laughs> uh, Deja Kelly. Deja Kelly is a really fun guard defender. I like what she does defensively. And Alyssa Usby is a whirlwind of defense and rebounding. And uh, it's, they're just, they're a really interesting defensive team. Uh, And it kind of comes down to whether or not they can make shots. If they'll win games, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be some ugly games on that ACC slate. They, um, they got zero bench points in this game. I'm looking forward to another season of Duke and UNC playing two or three times and not 44 cra- to 42 and still not combining for 200 points across the entire season. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, they're, they're going to wear teams out and they're going to play physical defense. <laughs> and if they can score 60 points in a game, they're almost guaranteed to win. So that's just, that's just what UNC is this year. It's a really fun defensive team. And if the threes fall, which they didn't against South Carolina, they were four for 21, then they win. (laughs) And that's the thing, right? Like their best, you know, their best playmaker, the person who led the team in assists in this game, well, it was tied with Kayla McPherson, but Alyssa Usby is their best playmaker. And Alyssa Usby is a very, very good playmaker for a wing, for a big wing like Mm -hmm. she is. It's also a limiting factor in the offense when your ball dominant, uh, quote-unquote point guard is Deja Kelly and she's not a great playmaker. It's not great when, you know, Lexi Gnarski still has some fun moments. She's a good tertiary playmaker, but, you know, she's not filling that primary role. There's some interesting things in terms of youth guards on this team where, you know, th- there's certainly potential for that kind of player to come along, but, you know, not to harp on things too much, but I think it's pretty clear from this game. You know, Deja Kelly is a fun, very fun college player, excellent personality, not someone who's going to show up on our postseason board, certainly not at this rate. And I think there are big steps need to come that we're just not seeing both in terms of the, you know, both in terms of the playmaking and the shooting, but also really sort of the processing that goes into that is just not there. And 
you know, from a WNBA perspective, super fun in college with Alyssa Usby. It's almost the exact inverse where I don't think you'll find. And again, we have, we love the South Carolina players and how they're processing the game and how they're reading everything. I don't think you'll find a player in this game who sees and reads the court better, at least wasn't who was doing so in this game, at least better than Alyssa Usby. Uh, I think every time we watch her, we just, uh, uh, we just bury our head, heads in our hands and wish she had a jumper because she would be an amazing prospect if she did. She'd yeah. be an amazing prospect if so. As it is, she's still just a super fun college player. And frankly, yep. there's nothing wrong about that. No, the, not very few college basketball players end up playing at the highest levels professionally. I'm sure that these people will be successful in their lives, whatever they do. Uh, it's just, it's really hard to be a professional <laughs> basketball player. Yeah, and they're, and that's one of the things that makes scouting so hard that's one of the things that makes playing so hard that's one of the things that makes having to you know be someone at the head of the draft so gosh dang hard is that you need to be able to say whether or not that happened and you know the one thing i think to always keep in mind when you know we do this kind of work if you know when someone is watching college basketball maybe they're more of a wnba fan than a college fan and they're watching to see you know who could be you know the best players coming out that they need to know if you're, you know, maybe just a scout watching, I think it's important, especially for us, to be able to balance who we are seeing as players we want to see more from and are kind of frustrating and players who we really like, you know, for, you know, maybe similar roles in the W, which means they're playing at a lower usage level in college. It's important to be able to balance that perspective with also just saying, hey, this game is super fun, even if like, one team is just not going to send anyone to the league probably and just being able to enjoy that anyway right you know perspective yeah, is important absolutely. in life for sure but and thank you for making lockdown women's basketball your first listen every day join our team at the next back next week for continued coverage of women's college basketball and make your second listen locked on sports today the first ever national sports 24 7 streaming channel on youtube have a great rest of your weekend everyone <laughs>